the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you before, I have three law degrees. Talk about being crazy. In addition to my JD, I also hold a a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. Now, both of these great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, that's located in the beautiful city of San Francisco. Now, because of my training, my experience, and my lifelong interest in finance and wealth creation and wealth transfer, and the roles these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. We also do debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And I'm proud to say As part of my practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to seek out and at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of some of the more pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that's stalking all of us these days. So I'm coming to you again from my continued voluntary lockdown in my makeshift studios in my home in another great world-class city. That is to say, the always beautiful city of Oakland, California. And I come to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help if you have a legal problem, especially one dealing with your finances. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I think that representing yourself in a legal matter is like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. If you're lucky and your adversary is napping, you might be able to sneak up on her 
and get real close and you might be able to scratch her in the arm with your butter knife or even poke her in the eye. But more than likely, you're going to be dead on arrival. That is to say, your valid claims and or your righteous defenses will likely see the promised land way before you do. So once again, I share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money. And unfortunately, in these trying times, more probably than not, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your businesses and or your employees, financial, health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening form. Now, those of you who are regular listeners to this show know that for the last few weeks, we've been discussing what, in my opinion, are some of the key business contract-related COVID-19 economic survival tactics each small business owner needs to consider and make a part of their long-term strategies to keep their businesses afloat until we get past this pandemic. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like anybody really knows when we're going to get past it. So we have a duty to ourselves and each other to hang in here and figure out a way to keep our businesses alive until we do get past the pandemic. In sum, the three things I think all small businesses need to at least learn about and have a working knowledge of are, one, how to defend themselves if they face eviction from a commercial lease after being shut down by government. Number two, how to challenge their insurance company for denying a claim of business interruption if they pay for it. And three, the pros and cons of filing for bankruptcy. Now, since we took a break from this topic last week to discuss what I consider to be our duties to each other and our family uh, concerning our money and our relationship with money and our relationship to each other uh, as part of something we need to think about to bring in the new year 2021. I want to take some time to summarize our basic small business survival tactics using a hypothetical restaurant tour named Millie for as an example. So, okay. So let's, um, let's just kind of get back to why I'm even dealing with this topic. Well, early in 2020, with the onset of COVID-19, I began hearing from small business owners wanting some guidance on what they should consider in their efforts to keep their businesses afloat after their local government issued lockdown orders in what I consider to be uh, the worthwhile effort to try to retard the community spread of, of the coronavirus. Now, all of these businesses that reached out to me had one thing in common. They were tenants in a commercial building with a landlord who was demanding the immediate payment of all the outstanding rents along with some form of guarantee of timely future payments. However, these small business owners simply could no longer pay their contracted rent because COVID-19 and their governmental lockdown had resulted in a substantial loss of business income. Now, in response to these 
inquiries, I generally tell the business owner they need to consider taking the following three tactics that I believe may, and I say may, provide them with the possibility of gaining at least some relief and, more importantly, at least some time to figure out what to do. Firstly, I suggest that the tenant in a commercial lease with an executory contract, that means there's still obligations on both sides of the contract, that is to say, the landlord is responsible for providing the space and the tenant is the responsible for making the payments and keeping the place up. Both of them have that duty. So that's what's known as an executory contract. There's something that both sides have to do. So if they need to look at their... Oh, okay, so let me back up. Why is executory? Why is it even an issue? If uh, on a, a non-executory, that is to say, one party has already fulfilled all their obligations and they're just waiting for the other party to pay. That's not an executory contract. An executory contract means that both people still have a duty to the other person. And that's why uh, it, it's important for the small business owner to look at the commercial rental contract to see if there's a force majeure provision. We've gone over this before, but it it doesn't hurt to go over it again. Force majeure literally means that an act of God is preventing the business owner from performing her duties under the contract, such as timely making her rental payment to the landlord. And please note that an act of God in this context normally also includes the lawful orders of a duly appointed or elected governmental official. And it also might include acts of civil unrest. Okay? So in layperson's language, a force majeure provision in a rental or lease agreement as interpreted by a court of competent jurisdiction who is the ultimate arbiter of the formal legal dispute of the outcome of the formal legal dispute concerning the parties to a contract. And that may lead, this force majeure provision may lead that court to find that due to a well-articulated defense to an eviction action commenced by the landlord for non-payment of rent or where the court is asked to find, uh, to examine a declaratory judgment to where the tenant is saying, well, we've done some things in our relationship with each other where you might find that, you know, the landlord has basically allowed me to not pay rent or reduce rent. And that might be the way that we need to go forward. Okay. Similarly, a court may find that the forced governmental shutdown so frustrates the purpose of the rental contract that both parties should be excused from the terms. So this, these are very important um, provisions in your uh, commercial lease agreement that you need to examine to make sure that there is a way for you to deal with not paying your rent on time. Now, when we come back, we're going to continue today's important topic. That is to say the three things small business owners need to consider to try to save their business that has been shut down by government mandate due to COVID-19. But first, we're going to take a short break. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. 
Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue today's important topic, three things small business owners need to consider to try to save their business that has been shut down by government mandate due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, before we took the break, we were examining our commercial lease agreement to see if it contained a force majeure provision that might lead the court to find that we are relieved to pay some or all of our rent. So, for example, say the city and county of San Francisco, as a prophylactic measure, reasonably believe it necessary to stave off the community spread of COVID-19, mandated that all restaurants, including your favorite, the one owned and operated by your friend and neighbor, Millie, a self-taught restaurateur and her family who have worked hard and spent the last 40 years building up the restaurant to the point where prior to the pandemic, it consistently produced enough income to support not only Millie and her husband, their children and grandchildren, but also their 50 full and part-time employees who Millie loves as if they were part of her family because they truly are. For the last 10 months, Millie has had the choice of either completely shutting down her business, which she decided not to do, or to serve her customers via curbside pickup or takeout only, which she did decide to do. However, Millie's modified plan of operation has generated only $14,710.88 per month in average income. And that's a 90% drop in her average pre-pandemic income of $147,108.84. And I got these figures from an organization that Curies um, makes inquiries of restaurants as to what their average um, monthly income is. So Millie's restaurant is a top shelf restaurant because she generates or had been able to generate 147000 plus um, a month in income. Now, because Millie has a triple net lease and it calls for her to pay $25,000 a month, which, due to the lockdown mandate, she simply cannot afford. You can't pay $25,000 a month if your total income is only $14,710 a month. So there's the rub. Uh, And as a result, the landlord is making noises about eviction. Now, under this hypothetical situation, if the landlord goes ahead and files the threatened eviction proceeding, and there is a force majeure provision in the lease, and if it was found to be robust enough, a presiding court may find that Millie is legally relieved of her duty to pay some or all of her rent for a period to be t- determined by the court. Now, even if there is no force majeure provision, as we discussed before, Uh, The court may find that under certain set of facts and circumstances, Millie may be relieved of paying some of all of the rent because to have to do so to make a $25,000 a month payment when she only generates a little bit more or almost $15,000 a month, it would be impossible to do so. And that's called the impossibility or impracticability defense. 
Likewise, the court may find that the lockdown mandated by the city and county of San Francisco so frustrates the purpose of the contract, and that is, Millie has this lease to provide a fine indoor dining white tablecloth experience to her high income customers. If it shut down, if if the mandate shuts down the um, the business, the contract no longer serves any meaningful commercial purpose and is therefore effectively moot. That's what I'm saying. But I would be a lawyer. It, that's a finding that the court would have to make based on the evidence. Further, if Millie could show the court that the contract's ambiguity, that is to say, its lack of clarity or imprecision as to the meaning of a material term or clause in the contract renders the contract objectively to a neutral third party and subjectively to Millie makes it too vague for reasonable interpretation. So we don't know what this contract says. And finally, if Millie could convince the court that the contract terms are so oppressive to her, the party in the least powerful position, that is to say, least powerful negotiating position, that she basically had a take-it-or-leave-it contract, rendering it an unconscionable contract of adhesion. She had to take it or leave it if the evidence so presented itself to the court. All four of these are possibilities to um, defend against Millie's landlord's claim that she breached the contract. These are defenses against that. Secondly, I suggested that small business owners need to thoroughly investigate their business insurance policy to familiarize themselves with its contours to see if there's a provision that deals with business interruption. That is to say, it provides that coverage. Okay, and if it does, and in this instance, Millie believed that she purchased business interruption insurance. All all Millie knows is that she paid a large premium for something that her agent or broker called a business interruption rider that she believed would replace her lost business income and provide her with additional funds for her additional expenses that she would incur when the covered event occurred. The way she remembers that her wine supplier too high up on the Vine Vineyards in Napa, California, was paid after his winery burnt down and smoke destroyed all his crop of Zinfandel grapes back in 2018. So she thought she was getting the same kind of policy as too high on the Vine got. If the business owner has the appropriate business interruption policy, it may form the only real basis she has to keep her small business afloat during these troubled times. Unfortunately, Millie should know that her insurer will likely very quickly deny her claim. So that means Millie will likely have to sue her insurer to enforce the business interruption uh, payment terms in her policy if they are really there. And Millie should know that from the get-go, it will be an uphill battle because of the nature of provisioning insurance in America It is for 
the insurer to make all the money by getting large premiums and keeping their payouts low. So insurers are fighting business interruption uh, claims with hammer and tong. And uh, there are approximately 700 pending COVID-19 related business interruption claim lawsuits that were filed in 2020 in the United States uh, because of something the insurance industry learned during the last bouts of viral infections to our overall society, including, as we shared before, the 2002 through 2004 SARS outbreak, the H1N1 flu pandemic back in 2009, and the 2014 through 2016 Ebola outbreaks. So what do these three past viral infections have in common? They were all viral and or bacterial and or fungus infections that were spread human to human or sometimes from other species to humans by airborne aerosol droplets or human to human physical contact or human contact with human waste. So these viral infections and bacteria and fungus are not spread or related to any specific instance of a physical damage to a premise or other insurable uh, property. And as a result of that fact, these viral infections that had cost the industry so much in payouts before, such that the insurance industry started excluding from their product offerings any losses that were not directly related to the physical damage of the insurer's premises. And as an added prophylactic to make sure that they wouldn't have to make a payout, insurers started issuing and renewing policies that specifically exclude any kind of loss related to a virus, a bacterium, or a fungi, and then intentionally or unintentionally forgot to so inform their layperson insurance who last year, um, this wasn't in the policy, this year it is. So I, I don't know what it is. Even if you point it out to me, I don't know what that means. But that's what's been going on. So unless Millie has what is known as an all-risk policy, which according to Investopedia is a type of property and casualty insurance coverage that automatically covers any risk that the contract does not explicitly omit, her insurer is going to deny her coverage. Okay? And as I've explained to you before, to determine what is or is not in her policy, Millie needs to go through and locate her schedule of forms and endorsements, looking for a form entitled Business Income and Extra Coverage Form, or a similar title, and then she should specifically look for all the exclusions, an exclusion form, and there might be a form called Exclusion of Loss Due to Virus or Bacteria, or and or another exclusion form called Fungi and Bacteria Exclusion. Now, whether she finds these documents in her policy or not, 
I suggest that Millie consult with a knowledgeable person, a knowledgeable lawyer about her insurance policy and walk her and have that individual walk her through and make sure that what is and is not covered. Okay. Uh, now, because an insurance policy is just the same as any other contract, Millie should know that the same kinds of claims and defenses as we talked about before uh, are part of her insurance policy. And in addition, there's a claim for something called bad faith. That's where the insurance company is not treating its insured with the good faith that is required under all insurance contracts. So I'm going to leave it there for now. Now, always in closing here at Selman's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, especially when it comes to what we need to do to keep our businesses afloat so we can take care of ourselves, our families, and our employees during this pandemic until most of us get vaccinated against COVID-19. Till next time, mask up, keep your distance, and wash your hands. Take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.